Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thank you, Mr. Kelly, for passing the baton. And thank you, folks, for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments... 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your houseplants, what to use as far as in pots, how to improve your soil, pruning, bugs, diseases, plants, removals, plant installations, or whatever you want to talk about. Remember, my words open opportunities. After that, it's going to be mental and physical effort on your part during this great marathon called Gardening. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg. He's again producing. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Oh, my goodness gracious. How's that possible? That is impossible. Anyway, I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. I got an email yesterday saying, where's your article for the next issue? I sent something to them back in April saying, when is this next article due? Heard nothing. Until yesterday, and they said, the article's due. We're going to press tomorrow. No, Saturday. No, Sunday. Whatever. But anyway, so I'm working on that when I get off today. But uh, anyway, if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, which is a more or less a site evaluation, analysis, problem-solving, aesthetics, or whatever it happens to be, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. And on the Good Gardening Stroll, that's my monthly updates. So uh, July, finally, I made it in. I've had some medical problems that just distracted me too much, and I just threw my hands up in despair. But anyway... Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. If you have any questions for the folks at St. Louis Composting. Uh, I, you know, I always start off the morning. I never really decide ahead of time where I'm going for the Good Gardening Stroll. And uh, let's see, I was sitting around. I was having my cereal and toast and coffee and all that stuff. I thought, hmm, where have I? I haven't been for you know, I can't think of where I haven't been recently. Anyway, I thought, Ballpark Village. The <laughs> So I headed down towards downtown. And I got off on Walnut Street, went west on Walnut to, to Broadway, and then a little bit further than that on 7th. I turned north on 7th and parked and uh, got out, and I decided to do the Ballpark Village parking lot entrance. Yeah, black metal fencing sets the parameters of the parking area. There's a narrow, plantable space in between the uh, curb for the parking and then the sidewalk. 
But luckily, they have not planted that because it's a very narrow space, and the plant material would have a very, very difficult time to survive. So that was very smart of the people there at Ballpark Village. There is on the sidewalk, painted, something that says, if you're not in the know, this is the way, pointing towards the east, to the arch. And uh, plantings at the parking lot entrance, blue spruces provide the backdrop. Floating white balls of forever hydrangeas. Wow, quite a contrast to the blue spruces. There's main grass, which was swaying in the early morning breeze. Dragonwing begonias, red flowers, add the finishing touch. And also there is some rebellious self-seeded celosia remaining from last year, pushing their way through a couple of the begonias. The parking strip in between the entrance and exit includes more hydrangeas, feather reed grass, and a couple other things too. Some crepe myrtle. And at the far, I guess, the south side, the red, let's see, which type of uh, red rocket, red rocket crepe myrtles. Far, you know, far south side, they're in full bloom, but the ones closer to, let's say, walnut, they're not in bloom at all. They don't even look really all that healthy. So, anyway. There's variegated liriope in this strip, too. Then there's about an 8-foot-wide lawn area, neatly mowed, and it's trying its best to survive in this less-than-ideal circumstance. There's also some maple trees there as well. They were correctly mulched, not too much, not too little, and they offer some vertical drama. At the, and then finally, at the bottom of the entrance, red-letter message says Ballpark Village. There's some dark leaf Calocasias, elephant ears, in other words, that sort of like, I guess are the parentheses, I could say. Then there's red and white cocktail series begonias and a boxwood hedge to finish off this island at the entranceway. Boy, there's a lot of trucks in and out this morning and uh, things, construction, I mean, construction people are out there very early and giant cranes, I don't know what size the buildings they're building, but it is going to be quite the massive structures on both ends, east and west, of Ballpark Village. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, the outdoors, I hope today they're saying kind of mid to upper 80s that it stays where it's supposed to be, according to the weather people. Like yesterday, I thought it was supposed to be mid to upper 80s. It was like 97. Tracy and I were out, and I mean, it was brutal. It was hard to, a couple places we went, hard to find a place to park the car that was going to be shaded by any kind of trees or buildings or anything. And when I got back into the car, that seat was so hot, I was like toast. You know, my back is sunburnt, only it's burnt from a hot seat. That's unbelievable. So if you do have any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, you know what I'm going to talk about. Water, 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 water. Also, with your containerized plant material, remember, because you're having to water the amount you do, all the nutrients are being leached out. And consequently, 
your containerized plants, I used to say maybe every two weeks fertilize. Now I'm saying with the amount of extra watering we're having to do, you may consider thinking or doing fertilizing every week to get the most robust growth. Because I, you know, I was kind of doing that every two weeks, and now the last couple of weeks I've gone to fertilizing weekly. And gosh, the plants in the containers do a lot better. They look a lot better than what they were doing. So, oh, you just never know. So let's head to St. Charles for the first caller, and that's Rose. And Rose, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you doing? Very good. Okay. Uh, I have a weeping cherry tree, and there's stuff oozing out of the trunk, all up and down the trunk. Um, I don't know if it's sap or uh, it's just a, a big bunch of stuff oozing out of the trunk of the tree. Is the tree look healthy? Yeah. Okay. And, and it bloomed better this year than it ever has. Wow. Uh, so I, I'm at a loss. Yeah, I would say don't worry about it. There are pores in the trunk, just like... So in other words, the trunk is sweating. Oh, okay. So, you know, if it's bore problems, what you need to do is look in the lower part of the tree, the bottom two feet or so, and see if there's any sap coming out of any location in that area. Kind of gently take the sap away and see if, you know, see what the hole looks like where the sap is coming out of. If it's the size of pencil lead, potentially you could have a bore problem. But if the tree's looking healthy, my guess is it's probably just, you know, the tree's getting rid of some sweat. Oh, okay. That's the best news I could have hoped for. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sure. And I mean, take a look if you're, uh, if you're overly concerned. But, you know, a lot of the peach trees do the same thing. A lot of the fruit trees do ooze sap. Other trees do as well, but just not quite as dramatic as the fruit trees. Let's head now to Centralia, Illinois, and go into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you? Very good. I have a beautiful stand of blackberry vines, but I haven't had very many blackberries. To Maybe be honest. One good picking, and that last year it was like crazy. So right. I, it's... It's, it's weather-related. It has really messed up a lot of the fruit production, a lot of the vegetable production, a lot of the, you know, just in general, the plant material is just shutting down. I mean, they're cl- because producing flowers and then consequently producing fruit really stresses a plant out. And even if you've been adequately watering and everything else, it's not going to make that much difference. A plant is going to understand that I can't afford to do this. In other words, flower, fruit. And so it's shutting down the, you know, the ability or the capabilities that it has to produce the fruits, and that's probably what's happening. So how can I guarantee that it keeps, you know, maybe next year will be a better year or later on? Right. right. There's no, I mean, just keep it healthy if everything looks good. Do what you routinely do. Cut out the older canes, all that type of stuff, fertilizing, everything. Just keep them as healthy as possible, and then kind of keep your fingers crossed because you don't you don't know what the weather's going to be. And if it's another year like this year, then we could have the same circumstance over again. Or if it's a year like it was last year where you had great fruit production, then you're going to have great fruit production again. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, it's you know it's a question of we don't understand. We're doing everything correctly. We're watering the right amount. We're fertilizing everything. But sometimes the plant material 
just can't respond to that. It's just like, you know, you can eat healthy, you can drink all the liquids you want to yourself, but consequently, maybe you don't feel like running today or whatever it happens to be that you usually do, and that's kind of what the, the plant material is doing, the very same thing. So thanks, Bill, and now let's go to Ledoux and into Peach Yard. Hi, Pete. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. So um, I started trimming my boxwoods this spring and got a little distracted, and I have several that need some work. Um, any concerns with my doing some of that trimming now as long as I maintain watering and all that fun stuff? Yeah, the watering is fine, but uh, you could really sunburn. It's like if you have, let's say, X amount of hair, an inch or two of hair on your head, and you shave it, all the way off, it's going to sunburn. So if you do some pruning when it is this intense, as far as the sunlight goes, you know, almost directly overhead and everything else, everything you're cutting off has been already acclimated to the amount of sun. And, and maybe it even has a little bit of sunburn tinge to it. But I guarantee you that if you cut stuff off, then the, now the, the foliage and the stems, too— fully exposed to the sun could really sunburn and do some damage to it. So I would wait until things kind of modify and probably sometime mid to late August, early September, do the pruning at that time. Okay. Uh, second question on that same front. Is there, aside from the intense heat part of the, the summer, is there a quote unquote, a, another part of the year that would be considered bad in your mind as it relates to boxwoods? To me, any broadleaf evergreen, I do not like to prune too late in fall or early winter because we don't know how severe the winter is going to be. So we could cut off some stuff that is, you know, like I said, more acclimated to weather circumstances than everything that remains is, let's say, newly exposed. So consequently, you know, it, you could get some winter burn as well as summer burn on the you know on the remaining foliage on your boxwoods. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah. So winter going into winter time, I don't like to prune broadleaf evergreens at all of any type. So thanks, Pete. And now let's go to Oakville and see what's going on with Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi. How you doing, Mike? Very good. Um, I've got a vegetable garden, and I got bugs eating the vegetables before I get to them. Uh, I've got uh, bugs on kale and bugs on green beans. Is there anything you can suggest to keep those suckers away? (laughs) Keeping them away? No. There's not too much that can be done. I mean, the insect explosion. Now, if they're there, you can use something like an insecticidal soap to kill them and maybe reduce the population to keep them from breeding and keep the population down in your area. But preventative-wise, there's not too much that can be done for edible plant materials that I've found really all that successful. And the insecticides, like insecticidal soap, are contact killers, and that basically means you got to squirt it right onto the bugs or else it doesn't do any good. Oh, so just putting it on the plants wouldn't do any bug? No, as a preventative-type thing. You could do that, yes, but you're probably wasting a lot of the chemicals from the insecticidal soap or whatever you choose to use, whether it's seven or some of these other things that are safe for edibles. But you're kind of wasting stuff unless, you know, that, you know, it's just... I usually use seven on uh, my beans Mm -hmm. right when they start growing, and that seems to kill them. Right. So, I mean, but now we're deeper into the season, so it's a little bit later. So, I mean, you could try the seven and see what happens, but uh, 
I see there's a lady that lives down the street from me. She puts seven on her vegetables too. And I, you know, she does a great job, she, you know, production wise and everything else. But whatever she's put the seven on recently has just collapsed, not because of the seven, but just because of the weather being so intense. So just, you know, be conscious of all that. If you keep your plants healthy as much as you possibly can, that's all you can expect out of this time of year with this weather. Uh, One other problem I have is a deer that jumps two fences to get to my beans. (laughs) Can I do anything to keep that thing back in the woods? (laughs) Well, you could hire somebody to come out and kill it. That's an idea. (laughs) But, you know, in reality, I mean, the repellents, if the deer is going to that, you know, that circumstance, hopping over two fences to get to it, it's desperate. So in other words, they're not necessarily going for the nutrient value of your beans. It's the moisture content. As you know, beans are really quite moist, whether we're talking about the the exterior pot or actually the beans inside the pots. So that's, I mean... They get into very much habits. If you go into the woods, you can tell exactly where the deer are walking all the time and everything else. And once they get into a habit like this, then um, you know, you're kind of stuck. I've, I've recommended in the past getting motion detectors and getting an irrigation system you know, or a sprinkler put on. So the deer, the deer would trigger the, you know, trigger the irrigation system with the motion. And consequently, then it would spray the deer, and then the deer would go, yikes, and maybe stop its habit and send it over to somebody else's yard. But that's pretty much about all you can do. Okay. I've heard about things that you can put out to um, keep the deer away. But yeah, but it, like I said, if they went to the trouble to jump a couple fences, yes, those, you know, those repellents will work. And there's nothing wrong with giving them a try, but uh, don't expect great things from them. But it may certainly, you know, again, stop them, break this habit, and then your your beans and your vegetable garden is going to be much more enjoyable for you. So thanks, and let's. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX and Llewellyn's Pub present the 2018 I-70 Getaway. Join the KMOX Street Team Tuesday at Llewellyn's in St. Charles from 5 till 7 p.m. You can register for a chance to win a trip to Kansas City for the I-70 Series in August, complete with transportation, hotel, and tickets to the game. The I-70 Series Getaway, presented by New Vodka and Llewellyn's Pubs, Celtic for good times. Go to kmox.com slash i70 for details and registration locations. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, this heat has been intense. I've been growing sweet potato vines for multiple years. I usually grow various colors. This year, I've had two or three different varieties collapse. I mean, they just burnt up. They just couldn't handle it. And one of them is chartreuse, but it's not, a, let's say, a full-leafed one. It's more like, a, a, uh, let's say, looks like fingertips, kind of. Well, I shouldn't say that. It looks like a, you know, it, the full-leaf ones look like spades. The other ones look like the edge is more cut. And those, you know, those are chartreuse as well. Historically, I just like them because they have different texture, even though the color's the same. But, boy, those chartreuse ones are burnt burning, burning, maybe gone by the time I get back home today. And I've had some variegated ones with some rune stripes in, in them. 
And these are, you know, facing west, so they get intense sun in the afternoon. That one's already completely imploded. Now, I have some sweet potato vines that are variegated or maroon-colored leafed on the north side of the house. They look spectacular. So it just goes to show you the difference and probably the distance between those are maybe 30 or 40 feet. So consequently, full sun afternoon has just burnt up some of them, and the other ones, you know, look fantastic, I'd have to say. So uh, let's see. If you got any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Headed out to Fenton and into Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hi, thank you. I uh, apologize if this question has been addressed already. I missed the beginning of the show. But um, could you tell me the best time of year and procedure or method to trim a river birch, uh, crepe myrtles, and knockout roses? Okay, with the river birch, river birch can be birch, beech, and maple trees can be pruned in the summertime. So there's no problem doing that if you want to get out there and really work up a sweat you can prune them now. You don't have to. But uh, you probably, uh, you know, pruning deciduous things, you could do that, you know, later on in the season. Just get make sure you get it done before this new growth begins next spring. Crepe myrtle, you prune those after they finish flowering in the, let's say, mid to late fall or early, you know, weather dependent is going to determine when they finish flowering. And the knockout roses, that's going in the wintertime. Some people like to prune them back heavily, and some people you know, don't prune at all until we come out of wintertime. I prune mine. I have four knockout roses. I have them in containers, so I prune them back heavily and then put them in the garage for the wintertime. But if they're outside in the ground, you can prune them. You should prune them after each flush of roses and then go ahead and prune them going into wintertime. Probably about whatever size they are, cut about half of, it all, half of the stems off lengthwise. And on, and on the birch, do you need to put any kind of medication on it at all when you trim it? No. None of that medication works anymore. Days of old, it had lead in it. It was very much, you know, would prevent some of the bacteria and, you know, virus problems or something along that line. But now they're strictly cosmetic. So it do, they, it, those things do, do not help whatsoever. So you don't have to worry about any sap or anything. No, like the that. sap is going to be a natural thing, but there's less sap flow this time of year on beech, birch, and maples, and then there is in the winter time. That's why you can prune them in the summertime versus winter. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Harold and Saint. No, in Chesterfield. Hi, Harold. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I have. Uh, it must be uh, a Bermuda grass that's appeared in my yard. Is there any way to get rid of it? Uh, there's, I mean, I get, I get a lot of questions about the Bermuda grass. Birds love it for nesting and things like that. They can pull some out of some yard and fly over your yard, drop it, and it can, you know, get itself rooted and then become explosively invasive. But other than just going out and trying to get it, you use an herbicide because you have a full patch area and killing it off that way, there's not too much else that can actually be done. Does it come back the next uh, season? You better believe it does. That's why golf courses use it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your help. Yeah, it's going to and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Sometimes it's, you know, I don't say to embrace a Bermuda, but it's really a difficult battle. Now, there are a couple herbicides that will go after 
and will kill the Bermuda, but it may have an impact on your lawn. And a lot of these, you have to be a licensed herbicide or a you know, pesticide applicator to actually have access to be able to purchase them. So if you have some kind of lawn service come in, tell them about the Bermuda and then say, what can you do for me to try to get this under control? Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. And now let's jump the river over to Belleville. Marilyn, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. And I'm calling about, I have a big tree in my backyard. It's a maple tree. And many mornings when I get up and look out my patio door, the ground is covered with little branches that maybe a foot long, foot and a half, that have leaves on them that are lying in the grass. Um, And to the point where I have to go out and pick these up because there's that many. They're just all over. Wow. I think that this is squirrels doing this. Well, it could, um, you know, it could be if, you know, if the branches are cut like at a 45 degree angle, then it definitely is a squirrels. So what else could it maybe be? Well, I mean, it could be just, even though they have leaves and everything else, the tree could be, it's sort of like, you know, what I was talking about earlier. The trees could be going, yikes, I can't help, yeah, I can't support all these, you know, all these leaves. So they start compartmentalizing or shutting off things. And then the wind, I'm, I'm assuming you're having the same winds we are, is just, uh, you know, it doesn't seem logical that they compartmentalize it because it's not dead wood. But that, that's about the only other thing it could possibly be. And, and it, it's, not, it's not just when there's wind or a storm. I mean, it can be totally quiet, uh, you know, and like uh, maybe a week or so ago, it was every every day. It's like got to, you know, again, it's still got to be weather related. That's oh. the only the only explanation I can come up with, because if you if you're getting the amount that you're describing, unless you have a hundred squirrels living in that tree, it well, has I to be, you know, which I doubt if you do, you may have two or three at the most. No, I've got many squirrels <laughs> in my yard. I do. They're destructive little dudes. Right, exactly. But yeah. still, they're not. I mean, what they're doing is they're chewing it. You know, chewing the the branch, and they're you know drinking the sap. They're desperate because there's no moisture anywhere. Okay. And so that's about okay. all I can think of, weather wise, and then you know, squirrel wise. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. For your- and then one thing I want to ask you too: Does the foliage look good? Is it color-wise? Everything look good? Yeah. Other, okay. Yeah. yeah. So and now, and I've noticed looking up in this big tree that you know it seems like I'm still thinking it's the squirrels. They chew on it and it falls, but it doesn't fall all the way down to the ground. So it's on a branch, and then those leaves dry out because it's just there. Right. And then eventually it falls down. Right. But most of them are green. Yeah, healthy looking. So, yeah, so they're going after the moisture. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> those <laughs> those Belleville squirrels, I can't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. And now let's go to Bob, or let's go to George in South County. Hi, George. Hi, there. Well, I have another theory about uh, this nice ladies' uh, leaves or branches on the ground. Okay. Or twigs, actually. I had the same thing with the sugar maple, and uh, it's happened uh, every year except this year so far. And it turns out it was uh, twig girdlers, those nasty little bugs come in, and they just saw right the little ends of the of the uh, branches right off and leave a mess all over the ground every day. 
You know, that could certainly be the case, and then cicadas do the same thing. Because well, the female cicada will rip on the other underside of the branch, and that causes that branch to drop off too. Yeah, yeah. These things were were you know it looked like something had just nibbled them around a circle and uh, left just a little bitty spot in the middle, and that was not enough to hold it up there, and it would fall to the ground. Well, that's a good idea because I didn't even think of the twig girdlers. Yeah, I didn't either until I was just sitting out there one day wondering, you know, how many squirrels could there be on, on this <laughs> little tree? It's a well, a fairly young tree, and. And uh, then I saw these things flying in and buzzing away, and then all of a sudden the leaves are on the ground. So, okay. okay. It's a good, it's another theory anyway. Well, great. Well, thanks, George. You betcha. Greatly appreciated. And that insight, sometimes when I'm thinking about things, I sort of like twig girdlers are something that's, you know, really problematic. And obviously that may be something. So, the you know, you should have a tree service come out and take a look for twig, you know, girdlers and they just like he said they eat the sort of the bark all the way around and that causes that you know that piece of branch twig or whatever to fall to the ground so let's go to shiloh illinois into bob's yard hi bob hey good morning hey i'm going to put in a vote for the squirrels i've got the same maple tree i've got the same <laughs> family of squirrels and every morning i have the same problem and uh and the, and the squirrels tend to like that tree. They're not in my other trees. And the only tree that has that problem is uh, is that one. And so uh, I like squirrels, so I don't really care. I pick up my twigs every morning, but it's it's the squirrels. Right. So, so anyways, I mean, I'm sure you're getting tired of talking about squirrels, but it's the squirrels. <laughs> I love squirrels. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Well, thank you, Bob. Yeah, we live across the street from Christie Park, and so I get to see the squirrels bouncing across the park all the time. But I, I have not noticed in the park a bunch of twigs on the ground. So yeah. I guess those are really domesticated squirrels in that park. They don't want to ruin the, you know, who knows. But anyway, let's go now to Breeze, Illinois, into Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Hi, Mike. Uh, say, I wonder if it's too late to trim my azalea bushes. Definitely. I th- you know, you may be okay, but I thought, you know, I, I you, you got about 60 days or so after they finish flowering. But uh, even though you can look at the end of the branches and say, well, I don't really see any bud formation yet, the chemistry with inside the plant may be already formulating the bud, even though it's not physically, you know, noticeable. Let's put it that way. So I would say don't do it. So next spring then? Yeah, next spring, right after they finish flowering. you got about any place between 30 to 60 days to do it at that time. Yeah, I knew I should have done it earlier. I just didn't get to it. Okay, thank you. Yep, and uh, if your azaleas, you know, are healthy and everything else, don't prune them. There's no reason to. That doesn't help them at all. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if I wasn't so egomaniacic and my head wasn't so big, I would read that, uh, you know, let's say monthly updates that Mike Miller, who I don't know who Mike Miller is, but he does them every month on his website. It's on the Good Gardening Stroll page of his website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And here we go. Under the section of brutal bugs. So in other words, damage is more pronounced during hotter, drier spells, blah, blah, blah. But further down in this whole thing, I... Someone, not my, not me, Mike Miller wrote. But anyway, as we were talking about some of the problems with uh, you know, branches dropping, fallen green branch tips 
I have it. It's right here in parentheses, twig girdling beetle. <laughs> Gee, whoever wrote that you know, monthly update for July, I guess I should start reading my own stuff. I'm so dumb. If you do have any questions or concerns, give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Besides that, as I mentioned before, you're going to start to see, you know, twigs are going to fall off the trees and there's going to be slits on the underside. That's the cicadas, the female cicada, and she lays those eggs in that slit. And you're going to find other things going as well in your shade garden. Most of the insect problems are really related to sun-oriented type plant materials. Not all of them, but in the shaded areas, slugs, boy, oh boy, they can be brutal. They suck holes in the foliage, let's say of something like a hosta, and also they put slime on everything. For insects, a lot of times you got to go out either in the earlier morning or later in the day as a sun, not necessarily at sundown, but later in the day to find the insects, what the problem is. And to me, this year, what's been more problematic as far as eating foliage on cannas, you know, I grow several different cannas in various locations, has been grasshoppers. You know, I, it's just brutal. And I just go after them. I try to catch them, and then I squeeze them and squash them and, you know, do that to and then I look at my hand and go, Ooh. but anyway, I prefer that over just spraying. Brian lives in North County. Hi, Brian. Hi, I got uh, some pin oaks, and I've noticed around the neighborhood that several are dying off, or at least very few green leaves on them right now. Um, we've had problems with galls up here. Right. Um, is galls in... Uh, the weather stressing them out. Uh, they really, I've never seen them this, this far, uh, gone <laughs> this point in the summers before. And these are, these are 40 year old trees. Right. Uh, can, can, uh, bush honeysuckle and, and different, uh, shrubs at the base of these trees add to their, uh, their abuse. Well, you know, it can because there's com- you know, there's competition for moisture, there's competition for nutrients and everything else. So that could impact it. But, uh, you know, the galls, you're only going to have, you know, let's say really impactful situations happen related to galls. If you have a huge amount of galls on your trees, that's, you know, going to be real obvious when you look up there. But to me, I still think it's all weather related. Because, I mean, the trees, they had to push out their growth without having a real spring. And then the the growth, you know, came out. But then consequently, it was already starting to face some really high temperatures. And the trees just were not ready for that. What I would do in the future, too, is if these are in your landscape, your trees that we are talking about, or, you know, do something called deep root feeding in the wintertime. So sometime after Halloween and before Valentine's Day or before the 1st of March or before the new growth starts, get an you know, electric drill, earth auger, auger holes around, concentric holes all the way around, and then backfill those holes with compost. Then consequently, you're feeding your soil. Then in turn, your soil will feed your trees and maybe make a better environment for your trees to withstand this crazy weather stuff. It's not to say it's not going to happen again, but at least you're going to have a healthier soil, and the tree may have a better impact as a result of this work. 
Well, one other question. If uh, bush honeysuckle, if uh, cut that out and treat it uh, to kill it, is, if it's at the base of the tree, is that going to affect the tree? It shouldn't. You know, and okay. basically make your cut, then you can put Roundup right on, you know, Roundup for killing woody plants right on the open cut or a stump killer or something like that. It should not impact the tree roots at all. Basically, the feeder roots are out, you know, as far out as the branches are. So mm-hmm. up close to the tree, you're just, you know, the trees, the honeysuckle, if it's up close to the trunk, yeah, it could have some impact, but it's not really competing, you know, tremendously. It's just making, uh, let's say, a less an ideal environment for the tree. Yeah, and at what point can we... Uh say the tree is is past saving (laughs) well if you look up into a tree and historically it's had a zillion leaves and only has a half a zillion leaves and the next year it has a quarter zillion leaves then that's when it's you know there's not too much you know you can do at this point other than like i say feeding the soil trying to do it that way additional watering all that other stuff is not going to make all that much difference especially on a 40 year old tree right okay yeah. Sorry. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, this weather has just been, it's really been brutal on so many different things. And even if things were not marginally healthy, those were certainly going to be impacted. But even a lot of healthy things are showing some detrimental impact. So thanks, Brian. And now let's go to, we probably don't have time. So Pat from Kirkwood, we're going to have to talk to you next hour. So. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We do have another hour, and so just hang in there, and we will talk to you after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.